0: Because we took so long to prep and to get started, I'm halfway through my third beer.
1: That's right. That's going to be bad. <laughs> well,
2: it's going to be bad. Hey, that's what, people, that's what the people ask for, John. They ask for drunken episodes, but it's what we learned on our, uh, on our Zoom, on our happy hour last week.
0: Yeah, yeah. Apparently they like it when I get drunk and say stupid shit. <laughs> Sorry. Mm. It, uh, should we care about language at this point?
2: Uh, I mean, I try to be careful, but I'm not perfect. But no, speaking of this, I forgot about that. That was, that was pretty fun. It was. We should do it again. We, uh, Maybe, we had uh, people from, from several continents. Yeah, that's pretty awesome that uh, uh,
0: people managed to join despite the difference in time zones. So that was appreciated.
2: Yep. And we use Zoom, so that means that um, the Chinese government now has access to everyone's private information who is on the call. Yeah, they do anyways.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Good point. Uh, uh, TikTok man. is having issues with that too, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't follow TikTok. Yeah, all the all your TikTok data gets sent to China. It's a Chinese app, apparently.
2: You know, I remember thinking when when I don't know, I guess when the internet was not in its infancy, but af- after we you know entered the the era of like internet e commerce and social media, you know the, all the and said, "You know, basically, don't put anything in the, on the internet that you don't you wouldn't want everyone to see." I used to think, "Well, that that's kind of extreme." Like, you know, you should, uh, you know, you have these things that you log into with a username and password, and you know, you should have you could be able, should be able to put private stuff in there. But now I'm just like, no, yeah, you you shouldn't put anything in the internet that you you don't want everyone to see because who the hell knows? I mean, with, between all the da- you know just legitimate data breaches and all these uh, you know governments, duplicitous governments that. You know, who Who knows what they've got access to.
0: Well, that's true. <clears throat> I mean, how do you, how, what do you think about the... Because uh, it doesn't really exist yet, but I guess Google and Apple are both working on some kind of protocol or some kind of framework for an application that would let you submit your data once you find out you're sick to build a track and uh, kind of identify who you've been closest to. <laughs> that's a great idea. I, th- I think the approach is, is the best you can do. Given the scenario, I mean, you, you track a certain amount of data, it stays on your phone, and at the point you say, I'm sick, submit my data, then the history of where you've been and who you've interacted with starts showing up on the server. That's, that's, a, yeah, that's and, a little <laughs> bit better than Big Brother always tracking and having the data regardless of whether or not you submit it.
2: That's true. And I, and I read that they, you know, they're trying to do things to protect as much of your privacy as possible, like they don't actually use your location; they just they just keep track of who you've been near and when. But I mean, the question is like, do you believe any of that? Well, they're not tracking who you've been near;
0: they're tracking your location point, and then well,
2: that's, are that's they tra- the opposite of what I read.
0: Oh, that's but. right; they are. Wait a minute—that's not very private because that means if I'm near you and you submit, that means you've submitted my location for me. Right. That sucks. It sucks. I mean, I get it. It's
1: uh, what the greater good, <laughs> but yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I hope it doesn't come to that, but maybe it'll
2: be. Um, well, we got to think thing. this kind of stuff is going to happen in the future, and
0: for what it's done to, to people in general and the economy, those that don't care
1: about lives are likely to utilize this against us in the future, I would say. Right. That's uh, it's it's a, a very positive spin on it. John. I, I know,
0: I know. I hate to do that, but it, it, I think we should be prepared for things like this, and I think we should have some way of, of being able to mitigate or at least reduce the risk of it.
2: If anything as, What
1: difference as, at this point does it make? Hey, we've got, the soundboard, we've
2: got the soundboard yeah, back. We got the soundboard. Yeah, we got the soundboard. After spending two hours, I should, I should, um, I think, f- along with the show notes for this show, we should, I should do screenshots of that m- massive patch board and <laughs> the mixer and everything, just so people know what we, what we go through. It's, it seems so simple, and I'm sure there's like a way simpler way to do it because it's pretty much like your voice, my voice, and then the soundboard. <laughs> But, but it's not as with all things computers, it's way more complicated than that, especially recording remote, because when we're together, we
0: can just plug into the same mixer and we're fine.
2: Well, and also like when you when you present, you know, a 20 channel audio device to Skype and say, hey, Skype, um, why don't you output to channels uh, seven eight and eight? Of, of this audio device. It's like, no, I will just output to that audio device. <laughs> I don't know anything about channels. <laughs> so then, you know, you're in the world of making these virtual devices that actually can map to specific channels. And that you know, didn't, just all goes downhill from there.
1: But you, know, uh, you know why it fun. only
2: supports two channels, right? It's because Microsoft bought them, so... Yeah, it's always been that way. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, unless, unless you have like an advanced audio app that knows how to deal with, you know, devices that have more than two channels, then they all just, they all just assume everything is a two-channel device. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, John, what do we have this week to uh, discuss? Do you anything uh, going on in your life or work life or anything that uh, is interesting or fascinating? Any new lessons or uh, tips?
1: Uh,
0: no, I can't say that. Well, I guess I can because I posted on Slack. It was my lesson learned with uh, for loops. It's just, you know, one of those things where you just got to be careful. I'm so used to most of my for loops being integer based, meaning I just loop through an integer and and deal with it. Mm -hmm. This was one of the few times this last week where I actually looped through dates and I needed to increment dates, which meant I had to call the date add function on the incrementer. And what I failed to remember is that uh, dates are immutable in Salesforce, which is good. But whenever you yep. call add days, I need to remember to reassign that back to the variable. Otherwise, it just ends up in an endless loop. And I didn't even think that's where my problem was. I thought maybe I was getting more data than I should have in, in the queries. And for some reason, it was stuck somewhere and producing way more results than I had because I was getting a max CPU timeout. And I was like, well, oh. and I was doing some calculations. So I thought, well, maybe my code's really inefficient. This is not good. I was kind of panicking until I realized it was just my
1: loop. Hmm. Yeah. That'll do it. So then so I So I, I would say that your issue is not
2: with for loops and it was just for understanding that uh, instead of mutating the value that you already had, it was returning a new value. Yeah. Yeah. That was really your, okay.
0: Yeah. That solved it. I mean, I did switch away from using that structure just cause I've, Decided to do it a different way, but I actually realized I now I need to do that way. So I'll be back to that that same technique here in a bit. At least you learned a fun little lesson. Yeah, yeah, it's always fun to to kind of get those gotchas out of the way. We do have some follow up though this week if we want to get into that right now. Sure. Uh, hold on, because uh, I remembered we had follow up after only checking in <laughs> after only Uh-oh. saying that. Um. I thought this was pretty interesting, and I wanted to mention it. Uh, I'm going to use the name because it posted, posted in Slack so I'm going to use your name, but this is a follow-up to the quiz we did. and uh, one of the quiz questions I asked you was to add two and four without using the plus operator. And uh, Aiden Harding posted on our Slack channel a couple of different ways, some additional ways of doing that, which I thought were creative, so I thought, ah, huh, let let's bring that back up. Uh, so Aiden says that you can do you can uh, do a bit um, a bitwise operation so you can do two. Uh, pipe four and that'll get you six. Yep, that's a good one. Uh, the other one is just to use a lookup table. Just brute force, you know, have a, a lookup table of incrementing numbers of four? So you would have spot one in the table would be five because that's four plus one equals five and then two and so on. And you could just output that. Um, so you would do and then the other one is just output six, which I didn't get that one. <laughs> Because <laughs> well, I actually the question was ahead. to add two and four without using the plus operator, so just outputting six is kind of not correct.
2: Well, one well, okay, there's someone I, I like this uh solution that one person had for looping or like printing one th- you know through a hundred, mm-hmm. and neither one of us came up with a solution. But what about just saying you know system or whatever it was, it print line or I don't even know what Apex has, but anyway, syst- you know system print. One, you know, system print two, system print three, system print four. It's like you just have a hundred print statements. That that works. I think you didn't say it had to be like that's true, clever or efficient. I mean, that's true. I didn't, and that, that's. I think that's the whole point of these open-ended
0: questions. It allows you to that that degree of flexibility to be really creative, um, or even just to think of the obvious that gets overlooked. Because I can tell you, whenever I came up with those questions, I'm thinking, okay, it's got to be a code way of producing one through a hundred. Um. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, what if it's not 100? What if it's, you know, 200? And what if I change that?
1: And I'm, th- you know, I always try to overcomplicate it. And I think that gets me in trouble. Usually does. Why do you say it that way? Uh, uh, the other one is um, uh, from Chuck Liddell. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to read what he said, and then we'll get into the article a bit. But
0: this was in, in reference to our discussion last week about inline code versus uh, functions. So whether or not you write all your code inline within a single function, or whether or not you break it up into smaller functions and call those functions. Uh, so Chuck Liddell, because he's got a lot of time off, he's, not, he's no longer in the MMA fighting anymore, but uh, he says, you missed the point on the Carmack article and got caught up in the idea of compiler optimization. The valuable point I was hoping to get you to discuss and weigh in on was about maintaining state and avoiding confusion slash mistakes in the future. If I have a sub method A and sub method B, and they're meant to be called in that order, or things would break by even making them separate functions. I am risking someone calling B by itself in the future thinking it's okay.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. So this is something, this is actually, a, that's actually an interesting point. It's in that, in that case. And I didn't realize that was a b- kind of about state like that, but that's, this is what one sub of coupling called sequential coupling. So there's all sorts of, I don't know. I'm sure someone documented this somewhere. I've seen this somewhere. Maybe it's in a book or something, but um, there's all different types of coupling. And sequential is one of them, meaning that, you know, you have to do these things in this certain sequence or stuff doesn't work because, you know the you know method one or you know, let's say you have you know method one that calls you know method two method three and method four mm-hmm. well if something calls method three before method two you know does does that break things and if so then you have yeah you've got sequential coupling so well
1: state and, is and again you know,
2: coupling is one of these things that it's you know you have to have uh, there there's always coupling you have to have coupling i mean you have to you know when you make an api call to some you know system you're working with that that's couple i mean it's it, just the fact that your code has knowledge of other code you know if you have an import statement or of course apex you don't have to worry about that because you don't have namespaces so everything's imported um but you know just just any code having knowledge of others uh, of other names of things that that's coupling so you have to have coupling it's just understanding you know necessary coupling from bad coupling and how, and how to minimize it and and just make sure you're Writing code that's you know not really fragile and susceptible to you know common coupling bugs, and that that's a good example actually
0: yeah, I think so. I think there's another element to this question, and that is or to the statement is about the state. so a lot of times when you have all these different functions, you're you're either relying on state that's in memory, meaning you're not passing things or you are passing things, and you're passing around a lot of state. Uh, and that can also kind of be either somewhat of an issue or somewhat confusing.
2: Yeah. That's why, you know, you, it's dangerous to pass, um, to, to pass state into, into things you really, I mean, when you think of methods, you really should think of them as like mathematical functions and they should do their work and return something n- instead of the model of you pass something into them, let them work on it. And you still have the copy of the thing that you passed in, that they worked on. It's better just to, you know, for the function to, for it to be a, a, a not a pure function, but, um, you know, for what you're passing in to, to, um, to be discarded or a copy of things. That's why a lot of times you like you pass in copies of lists or you pass in, I mean, that's the most common thing. You want to give something a list, make a copy. Don't ever pass in a mutable list to a method. Uh, you need to either pass a copy of the list in so that, you know, if, if what you're pass if the method you're passing to changes things that, you know, you don't care. Um, or pass in an immutable, an immutable copy of the list, um, so that it can't, ex- you know, whether it's on purpose or accident. I mean, you know, you never know. That's the thing. You know, you today. I mean, you may you know, you tomorrow may forget that you today didn't want you to mutate that list. Um, so it can be just totally accidental. But it, you're, you're reducing your surface area for bugs by thinking about those things.
0: Yeah. So is this a Salesforce thing or a Java thing where when you pass arguments to a method, they're by ref because i know in okay. it, the dot net no, this, world this gets
2: into dot net into world whole everything is a other copy, complicated
0: thing not a by ref unless you explicitly state that this this argument that i'm passing you this mm. variable is by ref
2: no but i mean here's the thing and i don't i can't remember how the dot net world how they 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 what they call these things but so technically java is passed by value but you can essentially pass objects into things because what you're and and people say well but no you can't because it's passed by value well yeah but you're passing you're you're passing the value of the reference so you so the the method that you're passing the, that the value of that reference to it dereferences that object and can mutate it so even though it's even though you're not passing the whole object you're passing essentially a pointer to that object although Java doesn't use the word pointer you see what I'm saying though mm-hmm. so it's it's still kind of like pass by Value in a way. I mean, it's like passed by ref. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It does get a bit confusing. Uh, I, so, it, so yeah, like, when, when you when you pass the value of a reference into a Java method, it can totally mutate that object if that's a, if that's a mutable object. Yeah,
0: but it's a valid technique, though. It's not. I've used it before <laughs> to keep things simpler. Um, say, set a, cer- a certain set of values and then pass it back. Hell, triggers. That's the way triggers work. Uh, before context, you basically just modify the list you were passed and let it continue on. And you're essentially mutating the record. The rec- no, no, rec- no. no.
2: You, you, you don't modify the list. You're modifying the things in the list. Right. That's, that's, a whole, that's a whole different thing. But, for example, that list that gets passed into you, that, you know, let's say the trigger.new variable, right? That's a list, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Try to remove something from that list. Or try to add something to that list. Have you ever tried that? No, yeah. I'm not dumb. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be dumb. Um, but I bet you, I bet you that's an immutable, I've actually never tried that either. That's an exercise for the, for the reader. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, but I guarantee you that's,
0: to think what happens if I remove, try to remove something from that list.
2: So I would bet money that that is an immutable list. And if you try to call add or remove, you get probably a runtime exception that it's an immutable list.
0: Can we create an immutable list or only Salesforce can?
2: I mean, this all the whole collection thing in Salesforce is you know you can't really extend. It's it's very like here is what the system gives you and that's it. I mean, you can you can wrap. I mean, you can implement. I guess your own. Uh, can you do that? Can you implement the collection and inter- like a, the the list interface and no. provide your own implementation of a list? You can implement think, an yeah. iterable,
1: but that's it. Yeah. So you can't Hang on a second, that. John. Uh, you got to. I'm I'm a little rusty. Okay. Okay. You can't do this with Salesforce.
0: <laughs> I'm glad to hear the soundboard back.
2: I know it's kind of nice, isn't it? Yeah. All right. So let me read. Well, this. I need I need to, I need to get out of my f- same four clips. So I've got I've got so many. You do.
0: All right. So many. let me let me read this snippet from the article just to see if that exposes anything else. I don't want to leave anything unturned. So, um. This the snippet from the article that he gave us was besides awareness of actual code executed, inline functions can also have the benefit of not making it possible to call the function from other places. That sounds ridiculous, but there is a point to it. A code base grows over years of use. There will be lots of opportunities to take a shortcut and just call a function that does only the work you think needs to be done. There might be a full update function that calls partial update and partial update. I'm sorry, partial update A and partial update B, but in Some particular case, you may realize or think that you only need to call uh, partial B and that you are being efficient by avoiding the other work. Lots and lots of bugs stem from this. Most bugs are a result of the execution state not being exactly what you think it is. Uh, It goes on to say, strictly functional functions that only read their input arguments and just return a value without examining or modifying any permanent state or safe. That's weird. From these types of errors. And the nice ability to formally speak about them makes them a good ivory tower topic. But very little of our real code falls into this category. I don't think that purely functional programming writ large is a pragmatic development plan because it makes for very obscure code and spectacular inefficiencies. But if a function only oh, references... But the nerds
2: love it, John. The nerds yeah. love it.
0: <laughs> but if a function only references a piece or two
2: of global state, it is probably wise to consider passing it in as a variable. It also makes it it makes things way more testable. Any any method that re- re- relies on global state, I mean, just immediately becomes harder to test and, and to mock and stub and all that kind of stuff. And it, I, you know, that's one thing great about you know getting back to true unit testing is if you one thing that if you're if you're doing real unit testing or you, or you want to and you want to do it without having to just stub and mock the whole world, then um, you know, you look at the functions interface and. All of its dependencies are passed into it. They're not just magic globals. They're passed in the function method. Uh, the function signature itself tells you what it what it expects to be there. I mean, they're, the, if you let them, functions are self documenting what their requirements are. To a certain, extent. it says it right there in the methods. It says it right there in the signature. It tells you what it requires. Now, if they if it relies on things magically being in global scope, now you know. Now you have to now you have to read through the entire function. All of its code to see what it kind of expects right
0: I, th- I think there's it's a bit of a slippery slope um when you when you talk about that so let's object-oriented programming obviously changes things a little bit i think in particular to this article i think i was referencing a lot of older code that wasn't maybe object-oriented but um you have an object it has a set of properties within that object you have you have a function that executes a set of code, but it also calls a subfunction.
2: Does it pass? Is the subfunction contained within the same class? Yes. yes. Where's okay? And so the okay, question, so it's a, probably a private function. Right.
0: So the question is, do you pass variables into that function to keep it self-documenting, or do you allow it to reference the properties within that class?
2: I mean, if it's a if it's a private function or a private method within a class, then uh, to me, it's, at that point, it's redundant to pass things into it that are, that are by definition, already in its scope. Yeah.
0: I tend to, to walk the line on that. Some days I feel like, sure, just, just this dot, this variable, and I'll get that. Um, other days I'm feeling a little bit more stricter and I'm wanting to create functions that you pass
2: in the variables just because I know what that's going to be. Right. I guess. I mean, it's it just seems weird. I'm, if I saw a code like that, that you were, you know, you're passing a, a variable into a private method that, that method already has access to, then it to me it, it it almost looks like a bug. It makes I think, oh, I, I wonder if the I wonder if this developer realized I don't if they think they're passing something else in, or, or you know, or I wonder if they were confused about this method's visibility. And because what you're doing, John, really, you're just you're continuing to clutter up the namespace. I mean, if you're, passing, if you're passing in a variable that it already has access to, you've either shadowed the name of the existing variable that it already had access to, or you created a new name for it,
1: and now you have multiple names for the same thing, which can also lead to bugs. So I just, I don't think that's a good practice. And I sum, Sean. He's, he's speechless.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little speechless because I it depends on the scenario, and it depends on what I'm trying to do. Obviously, if, if the value changes and it, it's you're in a loop and you're calling a function, that that's a different story. But there are times where I feel like it seems more prudent to explicitly state that this I'm going to send you this value, and you're going to return something to me and, and send that. Even though it's available in the global scope, it's like the calling method handles... Taking that variable from the class level property and passes it to the private method. I, I know it sounds weird and I know it's probably wrong, but it, it's just in
2: some, some certain scenarios. it But makes you sense need to, to under, me. I don't know. I think you're just, you're not understanding how wrong that is, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, that was, yeah. Thanks Chuck for, again, we're recycling, we're recycling Chuck's topics. I can't believe we're going to end that topic I'm, on you're wrong, John. That's the way I like to end all these topics. It's the only correct way to end these topics, John, is by you being wrong and me declaring it. Isn't that how the show works? <laughs> I guess.
0: You know, my problem is, I, I I have a sense of what I think should be done, and I have a sense of things that I that I do a certain way. Sometimes it's because I th- think way too far ahead of the future, and I think, you know, what I might want to build able You're to a you're a
2: there. you're a visioner. You're a futurist. Yes, I'm a futurist.
0: I think, you know what? That method seems useful enough in a lot of different ways. I'm going to pass the variable in because I think I might be able to reuse that somewhere else, even though I have no current use case for reusing it. There are other places where I have a complete miss and I have strictly defined things to work in a certain way and some new requirement, a bug comes up and I have to rewrite everything to be more flexible. So it's it's not a it's not a science to this point with me. Um, I just write things and experiment and try try to do things in a different way. Sometimes I do it for readability. Sometimes a variable's way too long or a property's way too long or a property doesn't really mean what I think it should mean and I'll create a function and I'll pass the value in so I can change the context of how it's being used in a way that makes sense for that function. So that's my defense.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's different. I mean, if you're actually doing something to... um. You know, if you're exposing something different than what's already in scope, then that's different. You know, that's a that's, it's a it's adding value. Oh, you know, I'm, maybe you're offering a, a simplified view of some data structure, right? Or you're, you know, you're enhancing or augmenting it in some way that something needs. And I think that's, that's, that's a good that's, way that's of putting
0: it because I think with with at least this past year, the the kind of code I've been dealing with, I've had to do a lot of that where I'm creating functions that I and I'm passing in values that maybe I wouldn't do that way. Maybe I would just. Call the function and have it pull from the the class property itself. Um, but I'm trying to make better sense of the code, or at least step my way into refactoring the code without having to take the whole class apart. Um, probably another crutch. If I can switch gears a little bit, is that I, I I feel like I'm overusing statics way too much, and I don't I don't know if that's good good thing or a bad thing.
2: Probably bad because statics are just statics are are the ultimate. Um, global state.
0: Well, I don't mean what in, in the terms of property. I mean in terms of function calls. So I might create a class and its only purpose is to exist to call this function. And then more requirements get added and so I ended up with this pretty pretty big utility class that has nothing but statics in it. And I don't know if it's better to have an instance or to have a static in the Salesforce world. Because uh, yeah, there's really I, no, no state to... To Keep track of there's no state. it's just a matter of passing these values and execute this function and return, a, return something. So I feel yeah. like I'm not using it wrong, but I feel like more, in more cases than not, I have a lot of statics, and maybe that's just me because I split everything out into the or compart, compartmentalize things so much.
2: Yeah, just keep in mind that you know classes themselves are statics a class is a static it's a it's a global instance of something even though it's just an instance of a class which is not an object right and then if you have static functions in a class then it's you know th- that's just more globals and functions aren't as bad as as like state um they have a lot of global state and you have to have obviously you have to have some global state it's just a, a matter of keeping it uh minimal and understanding what you're doing because again Lots of global state leads to lots of bugs. Yeah.
0: All right, so let me get on to his final statement, his final question. Uh, So Chuck says, playing a little devil's advocate, let's say you decide to carve out a function that accepts a list of accounts as a parameter because you want to iterate through a query result and do some additional work. Do you check if the list is null? Do you check if it is empty? Do you check if the right fields are populated on the S object? uh, Since you can't assume where they came from anymore. If you didn't do all those things, one might argue that you've got a poorly written function.
2: Yeah, and this is something where uh, again, Apex is really, really, really behind the rest of the world. Um, you know, modern, more modern languages like Kotlin. This is this is all baked in. It's not even a problem. Um, and even in the Java world, you've got the not null annotations and other other. And I'm sure .NET has all the that same type of stuff, which just prevents that. It literally prevents that kind of bug because that's you know the probably the the most common exception you see in the in historical java and net world is you know the null pointer exception Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and that's probably the most common thing you see in apex line i'm sure Uh, to this day Um, right but you know i can remember the the you know the advice in the java world before we had things like not null which you know your all your tooling can can do a static analysis And make sure that you don't ever have something that calls a method and passes in and the potentially could pass in a null value into a, into a parameter that's defined as not null, right? You just you you know, that stops you from even compiling, which is great. Cause those are the kind of bugs you don't find until, you know, four weeks after you've deployed to production, you start seeing these (laughs) null pointer exceptions, right? Because, you know, you expected some value to be populated in some column in some database and, you know, turns out it's not always. Um, but in the in the Java world, uh, you know, you again, it uh, back in the day, um, the advice was to, and it, oh man, the, the, unfortunately, this goes back to packages and 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 packages being kind of like a, a module. I mean, package uh, a package, or if you think of it, is that like the unit of release, the unit of containment, the unit of visibility? Um, then your any of your publicly, things that are, methods that are publicly accessible from outside the package, that's your boundary, right? And though all those methods should check the values passed into them because you don't control, that package doesn't control who's calling it. And you can't make assumptions that, you know, it's not a bunch of dummies calling your methods because they probably are. Um, But within that package, all of its private uh, methods and things Now you're under, now the package is, you know, it's, we're fully within, it's completely within the package's control and visibility. So you can, you can do static analysis, right, of your, of your package to make sure that nothing is nothing, you know, uh, no nulls are being passed around within your, within your package itself. Again, publicly facing the, the API of the package needs to check. It has to, you know, it, that's the anti-corruption layer. You know, that's the, you know, where it does validation. But once things make it inside of the package, then uh, if, if that, if that's, you know, if that API did its job, then you don't have to worry about that. And no, you shouldn't have those null chucks everywhere. It checks. Oh, null chucks. That's interesting. <laughs> that's a, hang on. Title. <laughs> You don't have to have those null ch- checks everywhere because they just they just clutter up your code and make it hard to read, which then, in turn, makes things more buggy.
0: Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I, I sometimes tend to be a little bit on the defensive side when it comes to programming. Sometimes some of my private methods do have some data validation in it. Um, the hardest thing to validate, though, is an S object. Uh, I find myself just pretty much saying, if I if I have a class and you're going to instantiate it and I need it to work with a set, a list of, Said objects, ninety percent of the time when I can get away with it, I ask for the ID or IDs so that that class can query the information that it needs and execute on that information.
2: Oh, well, I think now what you're now I think now what you're talking about is the fact that you know because Salesforce wants to over-optimize since they cram about eighty thousand companies onto one computer, um, they that and this is unlike basically every other ORM in the world. You, know, you only get values populated in fields that you queried for. And there's, of course, there's no select asterisk because they don't want you to do that. They want you to have to manually, you know, they don't want you to populate the whole object. They want you to populate as little as possible so they can squeeze more blood out of that, you know, that server. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, if someone passes in an object, you, you don't know if, um, you know, you don't know if we don't know what, you don't know what fields were queried. Right. Right. When that object, if that object came from a query, you don't know what was queried. You don't know what fields were in the query. But if, even
0: without the, the restriction that Salesforce puts on it, if, even if you were to send me a set of objects, I still would have to go through and validate every field and make sure that you populated everything. And I don't think it's a very efficient way of writing code.
2: No, I, I, I agree. And I, I follow that same practice a lot. At least I did back when I used to write Salesforce code. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think the only drawback in the Salesforce world is
0: the fact that you're incurring another query. More queries, yeah. And, and you feel like you're yep. being inefficient because you're doing another query, but really you're being safer because you're, you know what data was put into that because you queried it yourself. Yeah.
2: All I can say is, I mean, if we're talking about you know, triggers, by the way, did you see that excellent rant? Someone had an excellent rant on triggers, and they totally channeled me. Um, I wish I had that prepared, but I don't. Damn it. Well, we'll paraphrase because I, I don't think I've seen this. Oh, someone just talked, they just um, went off on how, I mean, like it was, a, it was like a tweet storm on how uh, this trigger model is such a horrible, horrible uh, software development model.
0: Yeah, I think if Salesforce could go back in time, they, they wouldn't have implemented triggers the way they were. If you remember, uh, the pilot of triggers was completely different than it, than it is today. I uh, don't remember that. Yeah, they, they added a whole new set of restrictions. They weren't bulkified at first. Uh, I think there were either two separate methods or they weren't bulkified at all. I think you just it just expected to send you a single record at a time. And then at some point during the pilot, they switched it to bulkification. And then it became you had to always bulkify uh, for triggers. Um, and there was a few other changes that, that happened within that time frame. But I remember working with it early on and seeing those changes happen over time. It felt like something that they were just kind of figuring out as they went. Which was weird because my, yeah. my, my background with quote unquote triggers was stored procedures. So you would execute something, you would execute a stored procedure on a database and I, I would get that information. I'd be able to do a bunch of stuff to it. I, I it, but the Salesforce world really struck me as really odd with the way they approached that.
1: Oh, I just found it, John. Can I, can I just read, can I read Twitter on the air
2: yeah. on the, on our fake live, but not live air? Okay. And this is from um, uh, at Code Monkey, whose name is Giri, G-I-R-I, I guess. I'm sure many of my fellow Salesforce devs would agree. Triggers are an anti-pattern, and is the main reason Code unquotes gets such a bad rap in the Salesforce ecosystem. And here's why: triggers and/or the entity event listener pattern. I love how they they're name dropping the actual patterns. This is this is such a, such a better explanation than I've ever given for this. But anyway, triggers and/or the Entity event listener pattern has been around for decades, and Salesforce being a heavily Oracle-based house, probably liberally borrowed from relational database triggers. And then they, uh, this person references some Oracle URL. In fact, the problem is not just triggers. Salesforce provides so many automation tools hooking into the, quote, save, unquote, life cycle of an object, all of them contribute to the problem. I think these save event-based automation tooling fundamentally break the open-close principle of good software design because they are not... Easily extended without affecting other parts of the system. Develop, developers should explore other options like screen flows and/or lightning components as the sources of events and avoid hooking into the lifecycle into the save lifecycle. Decoupling business logic from the save lifecycle event requires some clever UI UX thinking. Uh, the save lifecycle should probably be uh, used only in cases where we need to pres- we need some logic to preserve the invariance of an object. Another valid uh, to hook into the save lifecycle is to issue confirmatory notifications or to spawn any further processing asynchronously. The point is that this additional code is not part of the original save transaction. Anyway, there was a lot of, uh, I'm not seeing it but there was a lot of responses to this. And then, well, I, I oh, think maybe, it, oh yeah. I
0: think it speaks to the point of how business logic has crept into triggers and, well, it, it, even tr- it happened even in store procedures with databases is, is business business logic crept into it. And it became this rule engine of sorts versus versus a way to, to preserve data integrity.
2: Yeah, and just the, you know, the trigger hell of, um, of, of you know, what's the word? Um, uh, Where basically triggers call, spawn more triggers that spawn more, what's that called? Um, not iterative. Uh, recursive? Got it. Yeah. Thank you. I keep forgetting that word. Uh, yeah, they, you know, become this recursive trigger hell. And again, this is how Salesforce developers are taught to implement business logic, to put it in a save trigger, which is just, just a horrible, horrible way to do it.
0: But well, up until recently, what, well, even, even of recently,
2: what tool did we have to do otherwise? We, well, we don't, and we still kind of don't. And, and, and in fact, kind of the fact and This person makes the point that the, now we've piled on, we piled on workflow updates, we piled on process builders, we pri, we piled on. Um, what else we have, John? Flows, Flows. and what, whatever else is next. I don't even, I, I mean, there's probably platform lots of, of different platform types platform of things. Advance, triggers Yeah. Uh, um. No. Platform events are. They don't. They're uh, almost extra transactional in a way. They're kind yeah, of. Yeah, but of this still, way. We're still triggering them off of saves. But but the, we are, but they can't affect the save. That's my. You see what I'm well, saying? Well, Neither can they're,
0: they're immutable. They're immutable. <laughs> but still, they they if in turn they, they call back and make other updates that trigger other updates that are that are based on save. It's, it's it, it, that, I get it. It's yeah. it's that it's it's just that realm of world we live in where everything is based off
2: save. And and almost no one. I mean, even the smartest people cannot really. And in these complex scenarios, this person's talking about that you know. Even the smartest people, it becomes difficult to, to rationalize what's happening. Right. I mean, have you ever, if you've ever debugged a, a complicated uh, Salesforce automation problem? I mean, you realize that, you know, you're just looking at, I mean, it's like Inception, you know, the movie Inception, right? When you're, you're looking at so many different nested triggers and process builders and workflow updates, and it's like, I, you can't, you just have to tear it down to the, to the studs and start over. It, it's just impossible. It's impenetrable, John. Well, because and
0: <laughs> it, it goes back to context and, and understanding because when we get into complicated business logic, sometimes those rules will conflict. And at some point someone has to make the decision to say this rule overrides this rule. But when you have all of these disconnected or disparate systems, of automation that are each making their own decisions, there's no opportunity to give that, that level of context to say this one wins out over this one. And so you end up in in this situation where you're overriding and repeatedly overriding, which is why triggers run more than once, which is why they have to execute triggers more than once in certain, certain scenarios, because there's no way to prioritize one rule over another in the system. So it has to just basically say, okay, I'm going to run this a couple of times and see what happens.
2: And make sure it, well, hope and, it all and,
0: shakes out, hoping that the, the three times we <laughs> execute it, everything works
2: out. And again, this this person's point was great because I mean, you know, some some poor sap, you know, writing a writing a trigger really has no idea what the f is happening with what they're doing. They just they don't know what they're doing because Soundboard. there's no great there's no great tooling or visibility to show you what workflow updates you're go- are going to be involved, what other triggers are going to be involved, what process builders are going to be involved. You know, and and triggers. I mean, they can bounce back onto you too. You know, I have a contact contact trigger that uh, you know invokes some kind of account DML, and then that that could bounce back onto your contact again. Again, the recursive uh, recursive across objects, and again across all these different uh, automation um, tools. It's just it's really a mess, and it's another reason to be really careful with triggers. And also, just don't don't mix. Try not to mix these different types of automation. It's just bad, bad, bad.
0: So because we talk about... I promise
2: about you, these, these, these admins doing process builders, they don't understand the triggers that they're affecting and the developers doing triggers, they don't understand all the process builders and workflow updates that are happening. And, and you have a problem with no one actually understands your system. Right. And that's, that's from a business manager. That's scary. That's really scary. That's not a situation you want to be in.
0: Yeah. So when we think about DDD... There's typically a layer dedicated to business logic before
2: it even touches the database. Exactly. Exactly. And it's such a cleaner model. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, DDD is a whole other thing. I mean, you don't even have to get to the level of something as specific as DDD, which is domain-driven design. Um, well, even even if you go old uh, school with it and you go, what was
0: it, three-tier? I think I used to call myself a three-tier application developer.
2: Oh, I'm sure you were, John.
0: <laughs> but even within that, you had a the the one of the three tiers was the the middle tier was the business logic layer. That was the layer where you applied all the business logic. The database that that other tier was for data integrity reasons. You would put automation in for for preserving data integrity. You had the business logic for applying all the business rules. And you had your UI layer, which is what, or interface layer, which is what would interact with the world, whether it be an API or a user interface or whatever. We don't have that in Salesforce. We have UI and trigger. Right. So we're missing yeah, that middle layer. I don't know how, can, how we can accomplish that middle layer, given the tool set we have, but we need that middle layer.
2: We, we don't. I mean, that's the thing with, with you, you really don't. I mean, you can, you can... Um, I guess, approximate that middle layer by having, and this is, you know, just some of the good practices that have come out of all, you know, so many, what are a couple, we, a couple of decades now of trigger hell. Um, some of the practices that come out of it, you know, use a, you know, that's really the standard advice. you know, use a trigger handler and, and have a one entry point and having one entry point into your automation, I mean, solves so many problems and having things hook into that and even things like TDTM. I mean, they're as much as I don't, there's things I don't like about <laughs> that design. I mean, it's, it, it, it actually solves a lot of problems. Um, it solves the not orchestration not necess- problem when you have... Which, which is which is one of the big aspects of the trigger hell problem. I mean, just orchestras- orchestration. And, and also, John, visibility. Like, it, with TDTM, you have a registry of shit that's going to happen. Without something like that, you don't have a registry of shit that's going to happen. You, you, st- you don't know. It's, again, it's like the poor SAP developer that I said, that's you know, he's been told to create some triggers, so he goes, create one, and he breaks the whole system because he just doesn't know what all else is happening. It's not it's not, it's not, in, it's not really in your source code or some of it may be, but a lot of it may not be. Yeah. That, that's, that's one downside of the pointy clicky stuff. It's, you know, I can't do a command F or I can't pickaxe through the Git repository to see all the, you know, changes that have happened in the code and these different things. It's, it's, I don't have any of that tooling available to me. Now I'm just in pointy clicky land and I got to what click through every, you know, different process build and workflow to ch- and just manual with my eyeballs. Like I just, I don't know. It, but it, it's it's, but it's, a,
0: it's an answer to the symptoms. It doesn't solve the the core of the
2: problem. All of the stuff you just mentioned was just no, no. It's it's just trying to make the, it's yeah. trying to make lemonade out of out of lemons, is what it is. Exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it feels kind of odd at this day and age that we're still solving the same problems.
2: Well, you know, I mean, if you think, I mean, I've had I remember last time I or this is not the last time, long time ago. I don't even remember who it was. I was talking to someone at Salesforce, one of their kind of platform, you know, engineers or architects. And I was complaining about Apex as I as I do. <laughs> you know, and I know, and and they said, "Well, you know, the thing is, Jeremy, that you know, we when we first created Apex, we, we designed it to be." really nothing more than a database triggering language that was its scope that was its charge it to be a database triggering language and it was designed to just to basically be a thin wrapper around oracle triggers and you know for that purpose it it did a pretty good job but now we're trying to use apex as a general purpose programming language and we but we're still stuck on the same trigger paradigm that's our event paradigm i mean that's that's our business logic paradigm and it 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 just creates buttloads of problems. It, it 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 just it creates so many roadblocks to writing you know good quality code. And that may be, but they've they haven't they haven't gotten to
0: the point where they they understand it's a real problem, and they keep hanging stuff off that same problem.
1: It's it's so they so they (laughs) realize
0: that they have a branch that's dying and it's in its crack and it could fall off the cliff, but they keep hanging stuff on that branch. Uh, So they they keep they hung workflow. You know why, John? You know why they they you know why they keep doing that? Flow everything.
2: You know why they keep doing that? Why? Because people keep paying their Salesforce bills and that deferred revenue keeps going up. Uh, we we've talked about salesforce well they put and, most- until this becomes this is not this is yet somehow or another it just hasn't bubbled up yet i don't know why not enough of us talking about it. This has not bubbled up to be a business problem for Salesforce. sure it's a technical problem and, and potentially a business problem for a lot of their customers, but until their customers make enough noise about it, it's not going to change and and you know to be fair, we're probably in a very small minority when you think of all the people. The, all the people in the Salesforce ecosystem. What percentage of them are people like us complaining about, you know, uh, programming models? What percentage of them, John? A tenth of one percent. Well, how about how about we At say? Best?
0: How, how about we say the vocal minority are the complaining about it? But there there are plenty of those that are in this day to day that are not vocal about it. They find workarounds and they move on because they've got better things to do with their day than to sit here and yeah, yeah. and and. Ponder what the system could do and how it should how how it could be better yeah. and what it should be doing.
2: I mean the, the VPs of sales and the CMOs, they don't even understand this to be able to to be able to rationalize it and make decisions on whether they should keep using Salesforce or not. And, 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 and that's fine, but but and, and the like, CIOs, the CIOs, they, they just they're kind of loving this whole Salesforce thing nowadays because they just get to wipe their hands clean of all of it. Oh sure, you want to do Salesforce, you want to outsource that? Go ahead. It's not I don't run it. It's not my thing. Sure. One less responsibility I have. Well, I, I think the problem is is far more
0: complicated than than we make it out to be because we know that Salesforce has silos within itself that that certain departments handle Apex and certain departments handle platform events and certain departments handle whatever else it goes on forever and it's tough to get them to coordinate and talk and prioritize along the same path. But I think a real problem from a technology perspective for Salesforce at this point is the fact that they don't have a clear direction on that middle tier how to solve the ability to apply business logic outside of, of capturing that save point outside of interacting
2: with the database. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, and Salesforce, you know, I I, I do want to be fair. They, they have some unique uh, problems. Problems, Right. Yeah. And one of the big ones is, and this, this applies whether we're talking triggers or whether we're talking locker service or any of these things, we're talking about a multi-party environment.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I don't mean like, you know, the kind of parties you want to go to. I mean, there are multiple different yeah. business entities that are all, you know, trying to play in the same space, whether we're talking about the same database transaction like you've got, you know, Salesforce and you've got the subscribing company. Then you've got, you know, third party things they've installed and they're all running their code inside your transaction. Uh, and the same thing with locker service. It's the same It's really the same problem. How do you solve, how do you let multiple, multiple third parties, you know, first, second, and third parties all get their slimy, grubby little hands in your system without compromising security? And they've kind of figured out how to do that, right? But literally tens of thousands of entities are in this business making money off this and have invested heavily in it. You can't change it now. You can't change it. You're stuck. And you just said, why do they keep this branch is about to break. They keep hanging us up on it. Cause they've, they John, they paved over that about a hundred times over the past, you know, 15 years. It is, you know, it, it'd be like unearthing, you know, some ancient city, a hundred feet, you know, below the sand in you know, some, you know, in the Egyptian desert or something to find some lost civilization. That's how deep it's buried. It ain't yeah, changing. Is it,
0: is it? I mean, and I'm just, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here, obviously. The problem is they, they they hung Process Builder off of this this dying ship. They didn't give it a new mechanism. They didn't give it a new layer within the stack to process information. They didn't give you a, hey, whenever your user modifies this field, it'll run a Process Builder and modify it in the UI before it even gets near the database. How, mu- how much of the business logic that is in Process Builder just needs to modify some fields on the record, but yet what it's really doing... Because of the way they structured it is you have to click save and then the process builder runs and goes back and resaves that record, which causes another interaction to force it to save again. How much of this could have been solved if they, instead of trying to rush to market some new workflow process builder engine that they could market and sell and and do their hurrahs at Dreamforce, if they could have delayed that and thought it through and and taken it off that branch and put it on its own new branch, what that would have done to where they're at today.
2: Well, you know, I, um, the, the rumor, maybe it's not a rumor is that they are actually phasing process builder out, but it's in favor of flows. And I, you know, what's funny is of course, um, flows aren't any I, better. Well, that's where they're, apparently that's where they're investing. Now I don't, luckily in a way I, I can actually talk about this now. Cause I don't know anything of, I don't get any future, um, via my job or, or, um, uh, an MVP. I don't get any of this future, um, information and one reason being, being because i 'm not an m v p anymore <laughs> I, my card has been revoked um but you know what when when i was an m v p and again, this is just part of i mean it honestly m v p was kind of a, a oddly stressful thing like you have to keep up with separate email accounts and separate org sixty twos and separate uh these uh so chatter groups, groups you're supposed to be yeah. in and slacks and all these things and i honestly i just i kind of pulled back and didn't do any of it which is why i got fired from nvp um but um but i but i knew that would i knew i mean we i think i think i was I, I kind of joked but not really there's a lot of truth in every joke or loose a little bit and i knew that would be the case i'm like i just don't have the time to to do what this program requires kind of requires you to do i'm not going to you know the 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 well really the the um I think the, the straw that brought the camel's back was I didn't do my, my own performance review, <laughs> which I guess you're supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> didn't do it. So I'm, I'm fired. But anyway, even when I, even when I was an MVP, apparently, or, you know, supposedly you got access to, other, I, I remember used to talk about, I mean, not, not in specifics, but just, you know, we talked about that, how the MVPs get, um, they, there's these private meetings where they, or they, or there's a private channel where they're letting MVPs know about things before the public knows. I, I can tell you that not once, not once ever did I ever learn about something early as an MVP. Again, I probably wasn't, you know, logging into the right org or chatter group or, or Gmail account or whatever it was. Because um, half the time my passwords wouldn't even work. That's the other, <laughs> the other thing's like, uh, anyway, <laughs> it's like, I don't have time for that stuff. But not once, not once did I get uh, any, any pre-release uh, you know, access to any information. And, and I don't, obviously, I don't, you know, I don't have any now either. I just know that people are saying in public places that uh, process builder is being phased out. So I don't know if that solves one problem or, or lessens this surface area. You know, that, that's a problem. There's too much, there's too much automation surface area. Salesforce has tried to, you know, the, the whole process builder thing. I mean, that, that was, that is all marketing. That's all, that's all deferred revenue, John. That's all, that's what that's all about. That's all about stock price. It's it's a selling tool. Uh, look how easy it is. You don't need any coders. You don't need any programmers. You don't need long implementations. You know your um, you know your administrative assistant can can build software here for you. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's, and it's doing that. And, 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 then, you, doing and, you, that and then you write much. your check. You write your check to Forrester and Gartner and all those guys. And they're like, hey, let me check it out. And you show them a demo. And, it, you know, you demo demos really well because Salesforce is great at those demos. And, you know, then you, you get, you know, nice coverage. And uh, you, you, you fly the journalists out and put them up. And, uh, you know, the next thing you know, you're in, the, you're in the right quadrant. And you're good to go. It's all good, right? Yeah. Everything good? Yeah. You good? good. good. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not worth fighting, but yeah, we're good. (sighs)
1: What are you drinking, John? Stone IPA. It's making me
2: have to go, though. (laughs) (laughs) I started out with a, um, so there's a brewery in Dallas called Community, Community Brewing. They're one of the kind of the OG breweries around here but uh are public ale which is an english says english style it's really a, it's um a, i think the brits would call this a um this is probably a special bitter
1: mm-hmm.
2: or a strong bitter i won't call it an esb because apparently that's trademarked by fuller's but yeah strong bitter it's it's really good it's it's interesting it's kind of um it's kind of sweet and um estery up front hmm. as you as you would expect a a A bitter to be but it does finish you know you actually get a a nice cleansing bitterness on the finish which is what i like about that beer and that's what i like about a good uh, english bitter which is almost impossible to get an actual english bitter here you you really have to go to england i think um i've had a couple that were good um but they were uh they were i think they were kegs it's just i don't i don't don't think they travel well it's a style that just doesn't because it's such a subtle style um or at least i think what what what's nice about them and, uh, you know, time and, and temperatures and rocking around on ships. is just, just not good for it. Yeah. Um, uh, but I've transitioned. I finished that one and now I'm drinking a good old eight Oh five from, um, Firestone Walker out in uh, Paso Robles, wine County on the central coast. Nice. Yep. Now this is my last one. So I'll be done. You'd be done for the show, but not for the night, right? Mm, for the night. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> I do have to go though. Can we pause? <laughs> John, are you serious? Seriously, I have to pause. Oh my God. Okay. All right. Well, pause. We're leaving the sense. So you better hurry. Oh, I'm not
1: no, editing this. Damn
0: it. You would.
1: <laughs> Let's see. Here we go. For anyone who's thinking of traveling to San Francisco as a tourist thing, don't do it. Yeah. Stay away. Go someplace else. Stay away. But this place is falling apart. <laughs> San Francisco is a horrible, horrible place. (gasps) Wow.
0: Actually, I like Fitbit.
1: Any monkey with with a set of lipstick on their pig lips can write it for Forbes.
0: It's a terrible, terrible city.
1: All businessmen are completely full of shit. (laughs) The big data scam is a huge scam.
2: The cloud is kind of BS. It was really easy. I just changed my title to data scientist. What's people call big data.
1: What difference at this point does it make?
2: And the reason that we come to Davos, or at least the reason I come to Davos, is to really work on that muscle. Mm.
1: Hold up, hold up. Yo, what did my boy just say? Can somebody please rewind that? <laughs> we work on that muscle. We work, <laughs> work we work, we work, on that muscle. Beef up that muscle and expand.
2: I I totally totally forgot about that. I can't believe I produced that clip. (laughs) Did you hear that? That whole thing? I heard a little bit of it. Uh, Oh, where'd that go? Kind of have that in the wrong place. And the reason that we come to Davos, or at least the reason I come to Davos, is to really work on that muscle.
1: Hold up, hold up. Yo, what did my boy just say? Can somebody please rewind that? We work on that muscle You work, 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 work on that muscle <laughs> Beef up that muscle and expand
0: <laughs> oh, Beef up that muscle and
2: expand <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man, I clearly have had too much time on my hands at points in my life, John Yeah, you do I blame you, by the way, for that pause uh, Whatever <laughs> oh, Okay <laughs> well, you can um, work on we, <laughs> clips, right? We have to get to that part, right? that's true let's see what do i have well let me let's let's oh, first of all um i, I kind of teased this at the end of our last shot just dropped in a short version of this and then not this long clip but um we, we can't it would be it would be i uh, would be remiss if we didn't at least play this clip
1: uh, we're grateful as well to salesforce which has donated 48 million pieces of personal protective equipment including masks gowns, suits, and face shields. So thank you very much to Salesforce.
2: Yeah. I wonder if Trump even knows who Salesforce is. I mean, I mean, I know that, you know, Benioff for a short period of time was on that business committee or whatever. And the, remember the moonshot? We're going to have a moonshot. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Which sounds like my favorite kind of shot, honestly, if I'm doing shots. Um. Well, what, what is in a moonshot? Cheese? <laughs> oh, definitely some of no, some of that frozen, some of that uh, dry ice, right? Yeah. The frozen CO2. Because yep. it has to be, it has to be uh, steamy or whatever, smoky. I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, that made a few people I have a,
0: happy on Twitter, didn't it? To get a mention from, the I president. guess so.
2: Um, 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 I have. I have where did he get all that stuff from? Um, China. China, even though he can't get <laughs> computers from China. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. You can check his Twitter account. He thanked Alibaba. Yep. Uh, well, John, GitHub is now free for teams, I saw and I'm wondering that. for my for my employer. I'm, I'm, I, I, I've never fully understood GitHub, the whole licensing model, and I still I still don't. It's just confusing to me. It's just a moving target. Um, well, it is. I mean, because I kind of got to where I was understanding before. Now they completely changed it all. I think the net for us is our license costs went from like ten bucks a month to like five bucks a month user like we still yeah i mean we still have we still pay for because even though they made teams free and like you can have private uh, unlimited private repositories for teams which is great but if you need um code owners there's a feature called code owners which we don't use actually we do not use that code is interesting it's it's where you can have i want to be a code owner. Specific- i want it to be my code <laughs> <laughs> like you we all know that you are the ultimate code owner john that's right it's my code <laughs>
0: Piss me off to take my uh, code home.
2: Yeah, but you can you can actually designate. I think I mean just individual like sections of code. I mean either either um, either paths and specific files or even sections of of code that a certain person owns, and so they have to be the pull request reprover, which is kind of cool. Although we just don't use that; we're just not that complicated. You know, it's like whatever. Um, and then of course, like you know, SSO stuff, Saml, which we don't use, Saml. Um, we could probably go to free, honestly, but I actually like paying for things. <laughs> <laughs> I like reciprocate. I, I feel a duty to reciprocate value for value. And so we, we continue to pay and we will. And then they, you know, on top of that, they cut our, they cut our price by like 60%. So it's all good. That's cool. That's a bonus. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, we got to remember Bill Gates is probably still the biggest uh, owner of Microsoft, which means he's the biggest owner of GitHub. And, you know, I got to keep I got to keep Bill out there, you know, shilling for vaccine manufacturers or whatever he does these days. You don't think Bomber? So I don't know what Bomber does nowadays. I still think he owns quite a chunk. Of Salesforce? I'm sure he does. No, of of Microsoft. But you know what he you know what he thinks of uh, Salesforce, right? Bomber? No, no, I don't. It's too expensive. (laughs) It is dramatically overpriced. Uh, see, I've, I've rediscovered my old toy, John. <laughs> That's good. I missed it.
0: See, <laughs> yeah. so see when you when you uh, okay. do a show
2: for like five or six years. What I don't know what year we're on now. Eight. Didn't no, Yeah, I was gonna say. Didn't we discovered Because I was wrong. I, the other day I said five, and then on our on our happy hour the other day we discovered that it was two thousand um, seven. So it's been thirteen years. Yeah. So at this point, we can start uh,
0: playing on nostalgia for those longtime listeners. Kind of like during the
2: happy oh. hour, the cork pops were a bit nostalgic for some. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. To the point that people brought their own, you know, whiskey bottles and, and just so they could pop the cork on the happy hour. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> there was a few that kept up
0: with me. That was good.
2: That's true. Uh, let's see. Have you read all these stupid, what I call the stupid COBOL articles that have been in the news? I've,
0: like, and, I've read one, but you- one was enough. And I was like, I'm done with this. <laughs>
2: You're not I meant to make
0: me think you're not going <laughs> to create this world of demand for COBOL programmers. I'm sorry.
2: Well, it, coding I, schools—they're I they're
0: they're now they're going to recommend that coding schools now teach COBOL instead of JavaScript
2: or whatever else they're doing. Oh yeah, right yeah. Well, but actually, COBOL probably better than JavaScript. so well, Maybe it they is, should. But
0: it's not—it's not an in-demand <laughs> language, despite what they say. There's a few no, really I mean, old
2: systems that utilize it, and they just need to get off of it. I, I actually saw an analysis that COBOL. Programmers were were not high paid, and even in, you know the Y two K thing, they they still weren't very well paid, and they still aren't. They still would not be even at this point. But uh, anyway, I meant to compile a list of some of the ridiculous uh, t- uh, article titles I saw, but I didn't. I mean, and so I just went to Google News and searched for Cobol, and unfortunately, it's returning all the articles that have Cobol in the name because the, the all the you know the most of the Cobol articles I was seeing they didn't have Cobol in the name. They would have things like. Here's one example. This is from Salon. An ancient programming language is suddenly in demand thanks to the pandemic. <laughs> God. Um, it, it's, it's the ones without COBOL in the actual name of the article that were great. Um, I think my wife has oh, COBOL. <laughs> legacy systems crumble under high demand. Let's see. Uh, that's not a very good one. Um, anyway, I don't know. There were just. Uh, I, wish I, could, I wish I could find some of these. I, I can't. They're just not coming up. It's going to put my wife but, to work. Yeah. But they all had the same thing, like you know this this ancient you know click here to see which ancient programming language is an item in all this you know, all this crap, just clickbait all recycling the same cheap you kind of lie to begin with, but yeah, it's they don't, they don't understand uh,
0: they don't understand what they're talking about they they imitate to some buzzword and they they think they
2: ah uh, oh, it's annoying it's 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 the state of tech journalism, John, and we, you know we keep know that
1: in that. mind these aren't real journalists, Richard. They're tech journalists.
2: And they recycle old information, you know, to be easily publicly available, simple stuff and try to put their stupid clickbaity spin on the title and call it a day and then move on to the next one because they get paid by the word. Yeah,
0: that's pretty. That's pretty, that's it. There's no quality in it. It's it's one no. thing to to say, OK, everyone's talking about Cobalt right, right now. Let, let's write an article and let's talk about what's really going on. But no, they sensationalize the, the articles are maybe like two or three paragraphs long. Maybe um, one paragraph has to any meat to it. The rest of it is kind of, let me explain to you what COBOL is. Or let me explain to you when it was first founded and by who. And then they'll have a sentence that says, oh, yeah, there's some demand in it because some old system uses it.
2: Yep. Oh, oh I already read that one. Never mind. So much for the journalistic integrity. Yep. That was Barb Darrow. I haven't uh, heard from her in years. Anyways, not to crap on oh,
0: COBOL programmers,
2: but... No, it's fine. No, I'm not. I'm no. We're not. We're not crapping on cobalt programmers at all. I was crapping yeah. on the stupid tech. The media. Media. Yeah.
1: The the media.
2: I'd say if you know uh, uh, don't let's get paychecks. That's true. Hey, we have a new tower coming, John, in Chicago. Yeah, I saw that. I don't know how let's we see. how we have money for Develop- the towers all of a sudden.
0: Uh, <laughs> that we we're trying to get the revenue. fastest to fifty billion De- <laughs> or something.
2: Yeah. Uh, Development of the 60s story, Salesforce Hours, kicked off along the Chicago River after they secured a $500 million construction loan. One of the largest in San Francisco history. You know know why? Because the rich get richer. And you know how the rich get richer?
0: Real estate. And so it's an investment.
2: Well, um,
0: one of my new clips, actually. have probably partial somewhat say in it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, a lot. Of, a lot of times, it's it's you know, Salesforce doesn't own these; they're just a a long term tenant, you know, with with uh, the the building naming and signage rights, mm-hmm. and that's just how business works. But anyway, I have I have a clip to go along with this. You ready? Yeah.
1: That's why they have all these big buildings. That's why there's this Salesforce Tower. <laughs> this tower is mine. I am the king of this tower. <laughs>
2: Uh, that's from no agenda I kind of love those guys yeah <laughs> you know I think we're just jealous because we don't
0: have a good day sir tower oh I'm totally totally
2: jealous I need a, I need one, a tower one day we'll have a GDS tower right <laughs> you think so <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we will I'd probably in the next few months No, that's not going to happen no no I don't know John I don't know we talked about it before no, let's we,
0: we can't humiliate ourselves to the level that we need to to become billionaires
2: I saw that there is a, um, I guess it's a certification that, that trail. I mean, I mean, I don't know what certification is not available through Salesforce now, but um, there's now one. And again, this is probably not news to a lot of people, but it was to me. Heroku architecture designer, because you're not, you're not architecting a node app, a Java app or anything else. No, you're, you're architecting a Heroku, (laughs) which is, which is weird because Heroku is bread and butter is all about making things easy and transparent transparent for developers to deploy their apps to you know you just throw your jar up and everything happens automatically you you get push heroku master your ruby app up and it does everything you don't you don't architect for heroku you don't architect around heroku you build your app heroku is is a transparent it's, it's a
1: transparency
2: but no now we have a heroku architecture designer
1: certification I see that. So that there works. you go. There you go.
0: Yeah. I mean, everything comes, comes down to architecture.
2: It does. <laughs> so architecture app well. Uh, uh, I, it's I, all, it's all, John, it's all going to be Kubernetes anyway. It's all going to be Kubernetes. I, don't
0: know. Yeah. I mean, it, architecture in a sense is, is, is a skill and it is, as it is an art
2: for sure. Because Totally.
0: Totally. You know, understanding how, but you don't. Arch- you don't
2: architect around Heroku. No, you don't. That's ridiculous. But, uh, that's uh, totally ridiculous.
0: I, I know, but I think it's just trying to, trying to convey that someone understands how to interact with Heroku, what Heroku is good at, and what Heroku is not good at, or at least what you're capable, what it's, what you're capable of doing with it. And I think that's the whole idea around that kind of a advanced level certification. But to more often than not, I mean, I don't know that the architecture role is appreciated as much as it should be, mm. in... I don't know that I appreciate it as much as I should because I feel like I've been abused in
2: that role. Like well, a, I don't like actually don't... be
0: abused in that role.
2: You know me. I don't even believe... I don't believe in the role of architect. Um, occasionally, I will call my architect when my employer kind of wants me and forces me to um, because it sounds good. <laughs> and people expect that. They don't want to hear that you're a, a lowly
1: developer or engineer. They want to hear you're an architect. Right. It's like, well... Okay. Whatever. Is there is there like a chief developer officer, a CDO?
2: <laughs> a collateralized debt obligation. <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, my my final thing. Uh, oh no, I have two. I have two things um, before I get to my final thing. So this guy, there's a guy named uh, Kelsey Hightower. He's like a who does he work for these days? Let's see if I can find this out real quick on his Twitter. Uh, he's a minimalist. That's all it says. He's a minimalist, which is, I don't know, whatever. He's he's a, um, oh, did he, does he work for AWS or someone? I don't know. He's like a cloud computing guy. Anyway, he tweeted the other day. I just found this uh, fascinating. He says, uh, describe software engineering in three words or less. And let me see if I can get into this because I just like the airs. Are the errors? Wow, <laughs> that's negative. I like the answers. Uh, tr- three words or less. Try it now. Um, <laughs> off by one. Um, Sorry. Programming is, here we go. Programming isn't engineering. <laughs> Do not resuscitate. Resuscitate. Sorry, I can't speak. Uh, here's Jeff Atwood chimed in. This'll be easy. <laughs> This'll, <laughs> that's one word. This'll be easy. Um, test in production. Again, we're describing software engineering. Here's one. Not really engineering. <laughs> Some uh, of these sound like uh, <laughs> inner monologues. Like, like oh, that, that should yeah. be easy. Check the logs. Oh, works for me. <laughs> oh, slash, slash, fix this later. <laughs> <laughs> it worked before. Works for me. <laughs> uh, let's see. I don't know. Everything's on fire. <laughs> Get reset hard. <laughs> anyway, I guess I'll put that in the show notes too because that's it goes on and on and on and on. Um, final thing: uh, Zoom is not malware. There's been a lot of fud around Zoom. I, I, I mean, they're not a perfect company, but I've I've kind of followed it a little bit, and tons and tons of fud around Zoom. There's a, I mean, there's a giant, um, you know, conspiracy led by. One of the world's largest software companies to destroy Zoom, um, but they're good, and I think all these companies—they're like, "Oh, no, we don't allow Zoom on our employees' computers anymore. We're not allowed to go to Zoom meetings." Well, sorry, if I'm scheduling the meeting, then uh, it's going to be Zoom. And uh, i've I've done my I've done my homework, and yeah, uh, they're Microsoft actually pretty,
0: freaking whatever that is, Teams or is it business Skype or something does not work worth
2: hell. Well, I I will say I, from from my and I don't have a. A lot of interaction with it, but it, it does seem like it's gotten better. I do feel like Teams is um, gotten better, and they did that whole. I haven't used it yet, but they added something to Skype recently, and I think they really. I mean, I don't know if they had this ready or what. They really capitalized on the bad press around Zoom, but they made it so that you can invite people to Zo- uh, to Skype meetings, and they don't have to have Skype at all. Like it's just like a Zoom meeting, because that's what Zoom was so great about. You just like send someone a link, and they can join your meeting without, you know, oh, download this and unzip the zip file and do something with this jar and this DMG file. And then and then you open it up and then you got to type, you got to manually type the meeting code in because that didn't make it through. And, you know, Zoom solved all that. And now I think Skype is trying to, you know, Microsoft via Skype is, is trying to, uh, oh, interesting. Well, I'm, I, I'm so distracted by things out my window now because I'm working from home. So in, in my office windows are, I office in quotes or uh, <laughs> face out to the street and I, I'm so distracted, but yeah, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a good article called zoom isn't, isn't malware and it's on, it's on medium. And <laughs> do you get that reference by the way, John? No. Uh, here's I,
1: the clip. Oh, it's on medium,
2: which almost sounds identical. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. I'm st- I've, I've still got it, John. I've still got it. <laughs> anyway. No, the guy just kind of like, Kind of takes apart um, Zoom's challenges and what's real and what's not. I will also have that in the show notes. Such a Zoom propagandist. You know, I wish I owned their stock, but I don't. So I'm really not a propagandist. Mm. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a dude out there with a little podcast that some, uh, some people listen to and uh, just, just trying to set the record straight, John. Just trying to say my piece. Yeah, well. Your piece sounds like propaganda. <laughs> well, okay. I wish it was. <laughs> I wish I owned stock. <laughs> I wish I had an incentive. Yeah. But I don't. You might be anyway. somewhere. <clears throat> well, John, uh, how, how are we doing on time here? God, speaking of Microsoft, stupid Microsoft auto-update keeps opening and it just crashes. It actually keeps adding a thing permanently to my dock every time it opens, too. Really? I, I had incredibly it incredibly rude. It
0: fine. Right now, it's... Open and not closing is, uh, so I'm using Audition to record this. It's doing some kind of verification, but it's not closing. So, I oh don't know, it's still up. Wow. Anyway. oh, Speaking um, of see, software yeah. and updates, uh, I did want to recommend that anyone who sees the uh, 2020 version of IntelliJ to hold off a bit. Maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month. I don't know uh it's it's kind of quirky with illuminate cloud and i don't blame illuminate cloud for it i think there's a lot of changes to the ide in 2020 that are a bit hard to get used to there are some quirks with illuminate cloud like things not indexing or not verifying or something it takes forever I have to close the window there's a few kind of stutters in the where it's not in, where it's not responsive but it eventually does respond and that's kind of scary uh, but it changed how version control works. So now you have a new Git tab and you have a new commit tile window, whatever they call those, that's separate. It takes some getting used to. Uh, there's a new okay. theme, a new font. The new font I like, I think it's called IntelliJ Mono or something, or JetBrain yeah, Mono. Yeah, Intelli-
2: <laughs> JetBrain Mono. IntelliJ. A Russian font, brain mono, jet brain mono. I don't know. <laughs> I like it,
0: however, with the light, is it theme, in Cyrillic? <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a new custom okay. font. I don't know. All right, but um, in the light theme, the, the newest light theme, it's not bolded, but on the other theme that I have, the dark purple, the one that I use, it is kind of bolded. So, eh, other
2: than that, it's, it's okay. But, hmm.
0: Yeah, I, it's a bit quirky. I'm, bit I'm always.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, you know, I'm so slowed up into those things because I, I just have too much in a tu- in my various tool chains that yeah. uh, oh. ju- just, it just not I'm I'm still on what's the I'm still on Mojave, John, because I'm scared of this whole losing 32 bit things. Plus all these VPN clients have to use. None of them none of them work on uh, what's the new one? Catalina? None of them work on Catalina. Mine does. Tunnel bear. Sponge. Oh, that's your that's your that's your porn VPN, John. I don't I'm not talking I'm talking about business.
0: I use it for both. Thank you. <laughs> oh, but that was speaking of tooling, that was the other issue is that it does modify the project. It does have to kind of rebuild the project. so even though I tried to downgrade to the older versions, my project still wasn't working correctly, so I had to go back to it. so I'm kind of just going through the motions right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the help system is different. When you hit f1, it acts a little bit different. It looks like it's prioritizing uh object level javadoc help so if you don't have that implemented you're not getting like like before I would hit F1 and I would get the class name and all the functions and properties in it and all that kind of stuff now it's yeah. just blank because I don't have any javadoc anywhere so
2: I don't even use that F1 that much And it, when you do it's, it's actually pretty nice especially if there's, if there's good documentation on whatever you're F1ing on but I do use command P all the time do you use command P? yeah yep all the time yeah, in, inside a, like when you're calling a method, um, and it brings up the signature Especially for it. Especially when I've had like and three I'm gonna beers.
0: Use, um, After three beers, I have to use Command-P.
2: Yeah, and there's, <laughs> um, what is it that...
0: <laughs> God. God,
2: that was a good one, come on. No, that was horrible, that, that was, a was good horrible. One. Hang on, hang on. You deserve, you deserve something for that. And here we go. Okay.
0: <laughs> that was anticlimactic.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know it was. Sorry. <clears throat> that was That's the slowest shotgun cocking ever.
0: <laughs> Isn't it? I guess. I thought I was going to get like a wah-wah or one of those get off the stage things or something, and it ends up being that.
1: Is that better?
0: Yeah, that's the one I thought I was going to get.
2: Okay. Or oh, there's always the good old...
0: Yeah, that that one work too.
2: Yeah, yeah, that probably would have been best. Um, anyway, I'm losing my train of thought. Let's wrap this thing up, John.
0: Okay, I had more, but that's okay.
2: Well, <laughs> I got to get back to work because I spent about I don't know two hours jacking with audio stuff. So I, yeah, I, I know that's why I have like three beers. Yeah, yeah
1: Well,
2: I only intended to have. That's one, good. Right? I, I got you a drink. That's good. I'm I'm proud of that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll own that sounds good anyway um well dear listener um if you have not joined our slack or checked it out please do so com. click on community and we will get you in there uh send us questions uh we can we'll answer them on the show if you want or if they're appropriate or, or feedback or anything you want to our email address at info at gooddaysterpodcast.com i can still send out stickers believe it or not um share us on the socials uh tell your friends write a blog post do a twitter thing um make it autoplay on your parents alexa you know whatever (laughs) (laughs) subscribe that's the other thing subscribe just so it comes in automatically in your podcatcher of choice what else john uh join the community yeah i already did that one but you did join it again, sure. Yeah, oh, I was that's a the first thing I said. But, I wasn't listening, per usual. But that's I didn't okay. hear you do the whole <laughs> click on community thing. Just said join. Yeah, the well, uh, okay. If I could rewind the sound plate, I would, but I can't. So it's a live. It's a live show. I wasn't listening, except except that it's not. <laughs> I know. Again, again, per usual. And to that, John says, "Good day, sir." You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.